Welcome back to Health Equity from the Frontlines, brought to you by the Ultimate Institute for Health Equity. This is our podcast series where we speak with doctors, pre-health students, and leaders from the community to learn about their journeys, successes, and struggles advancing health equity. I'm your host, Dr. Roger Liu, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and fellow colleagues from the Ultimate Institute for Health Equity, Dr. Marco Angulo and Tatiana Alvarez. We're excited you have joined us for part two of our special interview with Dr. Soyla Escobar, Executive Vice President, Chief Administrative Officer, and President of the Ultimate Foundation. In part one, Dr. Escobar shared with us her challenges in education, from being diagnosed with dyslexia as an adult to juggling full-time work, parenthood, and college. Dr. Escobar opened up about the importance of her culture and how it shaped her values as an executive leader. Now, let's ask Dr. Escobar how she leads and advice for all current and future leaders. Dr. Escobar, you describe respect as something that's earned in the U.S., but for Latins, respeto is simply because you are. It's making me reflect on how we think of community and how in America we think about community very differently. This whole concept of respeto and being bien educado is something I think that can be applied to the workplace, especially at companies like Altamed. We need more employees and leaders in healthcare who understand these ideas. With this month marking Women's History Month, I'd like to shift our focus to women in the healthcare industry. Women make up more than two-thirds of the healthcare workforce, but hold about one-third of the leadership positions. I know at Altamed it feels and is different. Our workforce is not only a majority of women, but I feel they also hold an equal amount of leadership positions. What advice do you have so we can develop more women leaders in healthcare? Up to the 70s and, and 80s, really, the only people who really got into medical schools were men. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That wow. said, I can tell you that when I look at um, where women are today, there's more women in, in medical school than there are men. But what happens to that from a policy and, and social perspective is then medicine will become a cheaper commodity because women are the ones running it, unless we decide to not put up with that. We must continue to give physicians, regardless of gender, their due. When we think of what it takes for you to become a physician, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. But if I teach men that they are more important than women, if I chose to to tell my son that he was different from my daughter and that he has responsibilities that are different from my daughter. And if I tell my daughter that she must bow down to her husband because it's her husband, then I have just contributed to a whole okay. bunch of nonsense that when it comes to leadership, that leadership that any woman would have will be considered less than. So it's not good enough to say, let's break the ceiling. We can break the ceiling, all the glass we want. If we have not prepared ourselves and our children for how to deal with what's on the other side, then we're just, all we're going to do is just change the rules a little bit to continue to meet the expectations of society. How we react to and how we frame and how we choose to teach the next generation is what's going to make a difference for 
leadership, whether it's male or female. When I think of Women's History Month, it really is about when we list our heroes, who are we listing? Who are the people in the images that we as a society decide are the heroes? If women are not part of that, if women are limited in what they can be heroes of, then you're not going to change the mold. And I got to say that there's always women in every field in society. We just choose to think of them differently or the first woman this, the first woman Mm -hmm. that, rather than one more hero. Yes. Um, I know that as, as a woman looking for people to be like, looking for my role models, the role models of the women that I grew up with had to look a certain way, had to carry themselves a certain way, had to dress a particular way and, you know, be married to a certain kind of person rather than here is a civil rights issue that needs to be addressed. And it doesn't matter what that person looks like. I think that was very well said. And I just want to say like how you said that, I think we do have a responsibility to like educate our future and it's not just going to happen by continuing to put the right person there. But I know as leaders, as women leaders, especially women of color, um, at times we are perceived differently because we're dealing with the current generation, right? Than a man in leadership. I know that I have to make sure that I'm not perceived as too aggressive or too bossy Mm -hmm for leading in the same way as a male colleague. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you mind sharing your experience and how you deal with this? Not very well. I <laughs> 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 don't deal with that very well. I have to say mm-hmm. that I have many, many times been that aggressive woman and people roll their eyes. Men and women roll their eyes. Sometimes it, it really is about deciding that it's okay for you not to be the popular person. Mm. And more likely than not, you won't be the popular person, but eventually people will respect you for standing up for whatever it is yes. that you believed in. Mm. That said, it is a lonely space uh, mm. because you make enemies and you make enemies of other women. And men may not respect you either way. So let's let's pretend for a moment that I have a different, that I have a particular want in my career. Um, if there is a man in the position that I want and I did not have the doctorate degree, even if we have everything else equal, the man wins. If I'm a woman of color, and I have more degrees than the man, maybe I will be taken more seriously. Women have to do more. It's no different than people of color in general always have to do more than those people who are in power. It is always that way. The question has to be, where do I get my energy and where do I go and regenerate that energy? Because you have to keep doing this. And we have to be okay with that. We also have to be able to find others around us that are similar in thinking, that can help us regenerate 
our passion for whatever it is that we're working toward. If we don't create the kind of support, it's going to be very difficult. And 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 they shouldn't. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. So find. Let's find our network. Let's find our support system. Talk about it. Strategize, and then go ahead and get it done. Because you're gonna have to do it, and you're gonna have to make unpopular choices. Dr. Escobar, can you tell us how do you regenerate? How do you get your energy to do this over and over again? Give us, give us the the, <laughs> the secret sauce. The secret sauce here. <laughs> I don't actually have a secret sauce. There's different people who have different styles. But if I don't go and take a nap, if I don't have a few days off where I could just be alone, read something, lie down and sleep, I will not be able to keep going. Um, and so it really is about understanding oneself and what is it that makes you feel balanced and then doing that. There's people who get their balance from exercise, but I think that everyone is different. Sometimes it's really about just, just plan it, plan ahead, because you may not be able to get it when you need it. You know, I will say that Very I think I, the common theme that I'm hearing here from you, Dr. Escobar, as part of your success in work, in education, in, in everything that you've shared, I'm hearing you say like knowing yourself. I feel like that's one of your strong values that at least I'm, I'm capturing, which is like you knowing yourself and having an awareness seems to be like what has allowed you to succeed and to be as educated as you have become? I have to say that knowing our limits is important, but using your resources is more, much more important. Yes. Uh, I know that there are people who are taught to pull themselves by their footstraps. Mm -hmm. And those people have a very lonely journey because they can't ask for help. And the longer you don't ask for help, the more time you waste. It's really important to know what your resources are. If you are a new student, if you are someone who is a first generation, I don't care what level of education you're getting, being able to ask for help is going to be important. You may not know yourself and you may not even know what career you want, but if you pretend that you're going to do this by yourself, then I can sell you a bridge, you know, <laughs> to the moon. And I have to say that because I remember thinking that I couldn't ask for help. I remember being so ashamed of owing money to anyone. Mm. It took me a long time to figure out that the American um, economy is moved by credit. Mm -hmm. So, so what if you end up with a huge debt at the mm -hmm. end of your education? You know, no one is going to take the dancing you've done away. Yeah. Right? You're yeah. going to know mm -hmm. what you're going to know. And so you owe $400,000, you owe $400,000. It'll take you your whole yeah. life to pay it. As long as you make yeah. the payments, the smallest exactly. payment yeah. you make, you will, you will be okay. No one can take away your education. But being afraid right. of owing money is part of the problem for many of us, because yeah. we've been taught oh, so that, you cannot owe, that you can't owe money to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I know growing up, my dad didn't want to go any kind of assistance, didn't want to get any credit. It was just, I think that fear, 
mentality you talked about at the beginning. There was so much. It's there. Yeah. But just how many people with pre-med dreams are working mm -hmm. full-time, going to school full-time, and end up saying, wow, I'm getting C's and D's. I don't know how mm -hmm. that's happening. I guess medicine isn't, isn't for me, mm -hmm. but yet you know that their heart is in it. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and they're just like, no, I don't want to take out any loans. I don't want to do any, I just, I just want to, you know, I don't want to owe anything at the end. And it's like just heartbreaking because you know they'd be amazing physicians or amazing nurses, yeah. you know? And the fact is that the reason why there are more professionals in healthcare that are not people of color is because those people normally come from, from families that have generational wealth. Absolutely. We don't have that. Mm -hmm. So what I need to then say is, what are we doing to create the, the programs, the scholarship funds that ultimately mm -hmm. can help us pay for those things that no one else is going to give us? And I don't see this as charity. I see this in a, as an investment. There's a study that was done not too long ago, actually out of, uh, oh my God, I just completely blank, a Milken Institute <laughs> that said that they did an analysis where they projected that in 2019, California lost $117 billion uh, in GDP due to chronic conditions. Wow. So put that aside for a minute. If you take all Latinos in the United States and put them together, we make the fifth economy of the world. In California, we're also the fifth economy of the world and we are 48% of the population. Mm -hmm. So now think about this. We are that without investing in this community. Imagine what we could be if we invested in, in folks. Mm -hmm. If we really took the time to bring people of color up to par with the white community mm -hmm. where this country would be. Mm -hmm. So it really, we can look at this from all kinds of perspectives, but yes. economic sense seems to uh, be everyone's interest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, girl. When I first came to Altamed, well, we've continued to hear how Altamed really emphasizes this idea of growing our own, growing our own, <laughs> and being the, an employer of choice. Can you talk a little bit about what those two statements mean to you? Absolutely. The, the Brown Berets, who are the people who actually started this, were all about social justice. Mm -hmm. I think that healthcare is social justice. Healthcare mm -hmm. access is social justice. If, if I am healthy, I'm more likely to learn. If I am healthy and I am able to then produce, then I have, I can create the multiplier effect that's in economics and be able to mm -hmm. produce more for whatever environment I'm in. So if we look at Altamed, both as an economic engine, as well as a healthcare provider, as well as a center for the, for the community, then we need to be able to say, how are the, those three things come together and how do they manifest first and foremost with our most valuable asset, which is our employees. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we invest and we look at not just, let me help you get an education, number one. Second, you too have the right to have a living wage. So we do things like 23 by 23, 24 by 24 and 25 by 25. 
If we don't invest, if we don't give people the right to live a, a life that gives you dignity, then we're not being respectful and we don't really care. In today's economy, based on what happened in this pandemic, we have an obligation to give people a living wage. If you know what your mission is, then you, then you have to figure out all the ways to get there. And that is what we must do for each one of our employees and each one of our patients. If I had not been given the kind of opportunities that I've been given at Altamit, I would not be this loyal to Altamit. Let's be honest. Exactly. Yeah. And so if we believe that we need to be the employer of choice, then I have to understand what's each person's mission and help mm -hmm. them achieve it because mm -hmm. then we're working together and it, and it isn't every man for themselves and it isn't about mm -hmm. competition. It is about that collective. I don't know that we in American society would do that well, but I think that that concept still resonates and we have such a mixture of all these different kinds of cultures at Altamed that we can bring it together. But I can tell you, if we have an employee who's been with us for three years, you know, that's, that's the cutting edge. If we go from really three to five is when people start deciding to move on. If I can get you past five, you're likely to stay with me for 10. And if you're wow. here for 10, you're going to be here for forever. So my job is to be able to create that experience where meaningful, meaningful work is going to be done to meet your mission so that you do stay past the five years. You know, you had me at hello. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure people will be like, what does that mean? Look up Jerry Maguire and then you'll find. But uh, <laughs> the other one is, you know, when you're, when you're an employee, like ourselves, right? We work for Ultimed and I've said it before. And then Roger said it. We wanted to, said it. Want to retire here, right? When you're making the Kool Aid, when you're mm -hmm. when you're involved in ownership of yeah. like, you know what? This is my place, my town. That my Kool Aid, Aid tastes good. It tastes delicious, mm -hmm. right? So, thank you for saying that. That's that's amazing. Yes. It is amazing. Well, this place always gives us room. It's not like like we're doing boring things. And there's always so <laughs> much more to do that there's room for creativity, no matter what part of the company you work with. So when people say, ah, it's just a job, then we have done something wrong because we have not made it exciting. We have not said to, to people, what is your mission? And let's work and plan for, for getting there. Well said. We're almost there, Mark. I've got my four-year mark, Mark. How about you? Yeah, well, I passed my four years um, already. All right. Four four years. I'm, a, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm, more, I'm almost there. You guys, I'm coming up at my ninth uh, year. <laughs> ninth we got Tati year. for another five. Oh, we got oh one more year, Tati. That's it. <laughs> we, we gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dr. Escobar. First of all, thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. We usually end our podcast for the listeners out there who are on their journey to working with, with you, with Dr. Angulo, with Tati, with all of us here at Ultimate on the front lines. You know, what advice would you give them just thinking about your own journey, anything that you wish you would have known or anything that if you can take that time machine back that you can go to your younger self and just say, hey, 
just don't forget this and anything that you would like to add wow that's a tough one uh, <laughs> i'm so many something you wish you would have known too <laughs> something or, or something you wish you that i known. that i wish i would have known uh, <laughs> i have to say that there's something that i remember being a little girl there's a, a woman in the 1600s her name is so juana Inés de la cruz and she was a poet and uh intellect and a mathematician and a linguist and all kinds of interesting and important things. She's the first person, the first woman to be published in, in Latin America. And she spoke seven languages, including Nahuatl. Um, and she was always being challenged because they would bring her to the court and basically challenge her knowledge base, always testing her. And then, of course, she would have the information. Eventually, people kept saying, why do you keep studying? You know, you just, you're just a show-off and you're just somebody who wants to be better than everybody else. And her answer was, I do not study to know more. I study to ignore less. Mm-hmm. I feel I'm very curious. I want to know. But I don't want to know because I want to know more. I do want to ignore less. And it is something that is very real to me. There's so many things that I do not know, and none of us can know everything. Yes. It really is about what are the things in the minds of people, in the hearts of people that actually matter. How do I learn a little bit more? How do I become a little bit more well-rounded? Because ultimately, it is about being a full, whole human being. Integrity Mm -hmm. is being a whole human being. And if you have ever been a victim of others, then you know how important it is for you to be a whole person. When you have been invisible, you know how important it is to be seen and what an honor it is to be seen. And if you if you embrace that, it doesn't matter what you're doing. What are you gonna do with that? How does that help others? How does that make you a whole human being. <laughs> so if I had known that back in the day, it, I would have been in a different place. Young people always say, I'm too young, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's okay not to know. But do know that you have a purpose. Do know that you matter. Without you, this world's not complete. All of us have a place and none of us are indispensable. Yes, that is true. But if we are not here, then how are we then the whole of humanity? You've got to be here. Otherwise, humanity is not complete. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, Wisdom only comes from being old. (laughs) Listening. Paying attention and listening and, and knowing that you have things to learn. Absolutely. That's so important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those kind words. I guess I would like to just end by saying thank you for thinking of me. Um, I like to always think that there is a different way of looking at the frame, whatever that frame is. I remember somebody telling me, so that the problem with your perspective is that you're not always willing to hear someone else's. And if we look at this cup 
if the person's looking from the bottom, they see one thing. If they're looking from this side, they're going to see something else. If they're looking from the top, they're going to look at something else. All of you are looking at the same cup. But if you refuse to see all those different shapes and perspectives, you will never have the whole picture. And that will be your downfall. I'm hoping that I can stay open-minded, that I am willing to hear, understand, and more important than either one of those, interpret that for the positive. That's great. Thank you. I want to thank our very special guest, Dr. Soyla Escobar. Thank you for listening to another episode of Health Equity from the Frontlines brought to you by the Ultimate Institute for Health Equity. On behalf of our co-hosts, Dr. Marco Angulo and Tatiana Alvarez, this is Dr. Roger Liu reminding everyone, if you ever feel discouraged on your path, to remember these words. There are people who are taught to pull themselves by their footstraps. And those people have a very lonely journey because they can't ask for help. Stay safe and keep on fighting. We'll see you on the front line. The Ultimate Institute for Health Equity develops innovative solutions to eliminate unfair and unjust health disparities. Our researchers, grants, and medical education teams use the best evidence to ensure our patients and communities live healthier lives. Health equity means we remove obstacles to health such as poverty, discrimination, and their consequences, including powerlessness and lack of access to good jobs with fair pay, quality education, and housing, safe environments, and healthcare. Thank you for supporting us and please visit us at ultimate.org.